Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord God, for the beauty of the sunrise. Thank you for the warmth of this building. Thank you for the hope you have caused to shine in our hearts, Lord God, a hope which drew the Magi across deserts, Lord, to come to you. We pray, Lord God, that you would cause your hope to shine in our hearts today. It's so easy to lose hope, Lord, so easy to lose our direction, to lose focus, Lord, of our pursuit of you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would interrupt our lives today and speak to us. Speak clearly and lead us towards yourself, that we might truly come and worship you. Lord God, give me your words to speak. May I proclaim them boldly and faithfully. And we pray that you would give us unity as we worship you today. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. Morning. It is so spectacular to see you all today. Well, in seeking to prepare for this sermon, I've been asking myself, how do I understand what God wants me to do? You ever asked yourself that question? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And not necessarily in the little things like ham or turkey. Right. But on like the big things in life, like when Tara and I were going to get married, like, was it the time? Was it the right moment? Right. Or choosing a college or maybe moving, you know, in your life. If you ever ask that question, where should I go this way or that way or accepting a job? Sometimes it's really confusing when you have two really good options or three really good options. Right. It's not choosing between one good one and one terrible one. That's usually an easier decision to make. But choosing between those things, how do we know? How do we discern? In the Christian faith, we often file these types of questions under the heading of call. Right? Call for those big decisions in life. Uh, We believe that God calls us to certain things. Right? Leads us in certain directions. And... That's if we see our whole lives as ministry towards him, which we should as Christians. Our whole life is an offering to him. Our whole life is to be lived out as servants of God. And so we are listening for the master's call to us. In the church, we often articulate that some of the methods the Lord uses to call us begin with Scripture, especially in the Anglican tradition. Scripture, right, the Bible, the recorded Word of God, shows us His plan of salvation, His ethics, His priorities, gives us somewhat of a framework for life. <clears throat> and then, as Anglicans, we look at tradition. Right? Tradition is the way millions of Christians have interpreted and lived out the Bibles in their lives for thousands of years. And tradition gives us that kind of time-tested ability to see some ways in which Christians have lived out the faith and have dealt with situations like what we experience. And the final way uh, that we talk about as Anglicans is reason, right? Reason. Uh, This is applying our minds and our hearts and our experiences to interpret the will of God in our particular context. Um, Reason also includes things like seeking wise counsel, prayer, um, and or specific or special words of God, right? If God, you feel God leading you in a certain way, um, it always leads us back. This is a loop. It's all a loop, right? Because after reason, you go back and confirm with scripture to make sure that you haven't 
reason hasn't led you down another path, right? But how does God call those who have no background in the faith? Right? Scripture, tradition, and reason are really helpful for us in our analytics of understanding how or what God is calling us to and how to serve him. But for those who have no background in the faith, no background in the scriptures or traditions of the church, how do they do it? How does God speak to them? Well, in our gospel account for today, we have four ways that he speaks to the Magi. Okay, so here we are. Feast of the Epiphany. Da-da-da-da. Great day in the church, right? And it's the day we remember the coming of the wise men from the east to visit Jesus. So why did they leave the east? Well, that's an easy question and answer. Right? You've been watching the news. The east looks terrible right now. There's like storms. There's like that polar bomb or whatever it's called off the east coast. Right? Who wouldn't want to get out of upstate New York right now? Right? And so the wise men, of course, they were heading west where the weather's a lot. No. (laughs) Sorry, different east. You got to keep heading east to go back to where they were. Why would they go from where they were? Why would they go? Well, that's this issue of call. We believe the Lord was implanting in their hearts a special desire to go and see the king of the Jews. Now, the visit of the Magi from the east had been prophesied in several places in the Old Testament. In particular, we have two of those passages that we read today in our service. The first was Isaiah, which says, A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Epah, All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. And as well in the psalm. The kings of Tarshish and of all the isles shall, uh, and of the isles shall pay tribute. And the kings of Arabia and Saba offer gifts. All kings shall bow down before him and all the nations do him service. Those are the prophecies which spoke about the coming of these people to offer gifts to the king of the Jews, to the Messiah. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, these magi or astrologers come looking for the child who has been born king of the Jews because they saw his star at its rising. Now, if we look at this account through the lens of call, there has to have been some prior work that God did before that star came up, right? God had to do some work beforehand in the lives of these magi so that when the star dawned, they were able to interpret it in the proper way. The first thing that God had done was that he had opened up the heavens to these magi and it caused them to see his plans in the stars. Does that sound remarkable to anybody? Yeah, it's pretty remarkable, I think. Right? And I have no idea how this worked. I have no idea how God did this. But when this particular star came up, it told these magi that the king of the Jews had been born. Which means they had been looking for it. Which means they had a system that said when this star is in this particular place at this particular time, it means this. Right? And systems don't just fall into place. They take years and years to develop. Maybe even centuries. Who knows how long people had been looking for this star to be in this place. And then God, 
Not only did he reveal the star to them, he put in them the desire to go and follow it. When they saw the star, they didn't just write it down in their weekly newspaper column. They got up and they packed up and they went. They went and followed it. And what did they use to navigate to Jerusalem? GPS? No, OnStar, right? That's right. The star, they followed the star. The star that they had observed at its rising. Now, this is the second way that God calls and leads these magi, is through this star. So they get to Jerusalem, and they start asking around, right? They're in their um, tourist shops, checking things out, and they're saying, where is, uh, where is this child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. They ask around. Nobody seems to know. What are you talking about? What star? We don't know what you're talking about. We haven't heard of the birth of... I don't think Herod's had any, king, any kids recently. But eventually their question does indeed get to Herod. But why would this even matter to Herod? I mean, what does a baby... Like, what kind of threat is a baby? That's right. Herod is the king. And Herod, despite the fact that he has built seemingly everything in Israel and has been ruling, is afraid, is deathly afraid that someone's going to come and try and take his position, to take his status. Now, he had this buddy in school when he was growing up, and his buddy's name was Augustus Caesar. And Augustus said of Herod, he said, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. Now, what do you think he meant by that? Because Herod was Jewish, right? And as a, as a Jew, um, that pig had a very safe future, right? It would not ever end up as a ham on the table, right? The pig was safe. But his sons? Not so safe. He killed three of his sons and at least one of his wives. <clears throat> now, two of his sons he killed by strangulation, but he did it the legal way, right? In case any of you are worried he did something illegal. No, Herod set up a good kangaroo court and had his sons convicted of treason, uh, seeking to usurp the crown, and he had them executed for that by strangulation. Now, I'm sure this made family gatherings a little more stressful for everyone involved afterwards, right? You know, it wasn't just like our own families where you say, okay, don't bring up politics around Bob, right? Or um, because you'll end up in this conversation. This was don't bring up succession lines around Herod or you'll end up strangled. That's got to be horrible family dynamic, don't you think? Not exactly leads to confident relationships with dad if you're as one of his sons. So Herod hears about these magi wandering around the city and asking where the boy king is. And as we all know, Herod's not thrilled about this, about the prospect of a new king. And so he secretly invites the magi to the palace, God bless you, to ask them a few questions. While the Magi are on their way to the palace, he scrambles and gets together the chief priests and the scribes and asks them where the Messiah is to be born. And they tell him the answer. They know the answer. They say, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, 
And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then he secretly meets with these magi and remarkably gives them the correct answer as to where to find the Messiah. He sends them away, telling them very piously, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. But what does he really want to go and do? He wants to pay him a little visit, right? In the mafia sense. So then the third way that God provides guidance and call to these magi is by using a violent and powerful king who wants to thwart the plans of God. You think anyone saw that coming? That God would use someone who is completely opposed to his plan to lead the people, these magi, to the Savior? So remarkable, isn't it? That God would carry out his plans from someone who was seeking to oppose his plan. That is the way God works sometimes. Okay, so Herod sends them on their way. I'm not sure what he was getting at, but maybe he thought they really would come back afterwards. But as the Magi go towards Bethlehem, they see the star leading them again. And it stops over a house. And when it does, they are filled with joy because it means they've arrived at their destination. And they enter this house and they find Mary and Jesus there. And then they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. But God was not done guiding the Magi. He had one more thing to tell him, right? One more thing that we know of, and that was in a dream. He warns them not to return to Herod, so they left for their own country by another road. Now, from this account, we have four ways that God led those magi. God called the magi and showed them what his plan was. The first was that he implanted understanding in their minds, gave them eyes to see, inquiring hearts to listen for uh, and to look for. God's plan unfolding or this plan unfolding. I don't know if they knew it was God's plan and a desire to go and follow that plan when they did have the opportunity. He then gave them a star to follow. A star to follow this thing that led them. And then three through a violent and powerful king who wanted to thwart the plans of God. He led them to their final destination. That was the final clue for them. And then in conclusion, he warned them in a dream about the plan, about their route for the future. That's the way God worked among these magi. These people who had no background, no background in the stories necessarily, in the, in the prophecies. That's how God led these people to himself by using these incredible means. God is calling, calling all kinds of people to himself all around the world in all different circumstances, in all different ways. God is calling. For those of us who know God, those of us who've been in relationship with him, 
I hope that we begin to pray and seek opportunities to be a part of that journey for others. We can be like Herod's for... Oh, wait, no, you don't want to be like Herod. Um, we can be like what Herod should have been, right? And lead people to the Savior. Give them that last bit of direction to orient them to where to find Jesus Christ and to worship Him. That's one of the opportunities we have as people who know Christ already, is to be um, help, helpers on the way. But God is also calling to you and to me. God is speaking to us. What is he calling us to? And how is he calling? How is God revealing himself? We see here that God uses all kinds of ways to get the attention of the Magi and to lead them. But it's important to see that the plan that the Magi follow, the call they get, despite the unorthodox methods of getting it, ends up conforming to the prophesied word of God and his revealed plan. Like through these incredible means, God leads these magi to fulfill scripture and to come and worship Jesus Christ at his manger. Right? That is amazing. And that shows the faithfulness of God to carry out the plans that he has made. So is God calling you? Is he speaking to you? Is he using great or little signs to reveal his plan to you? This morning, as I was mulling over these topics and themes and doing my last minute thinking on it, I was walking over to church and it was dark. It was like six in the morning, right? And there were clouds in the skies in most places, but in a few spots there was, you know, the darkness of night. Except for in one little spot right above the peak of the church, there was a star right next to the cross as I was walking here. God is still leading us. God is still drawing us to himself in both great and in small ways. May we listen and may we follow the star and come into the presence of God and worship him. And as we encounter other people on our journey, may we bring them with us to worship our Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for working through these magi and using them, Lord, to bring praise to your name. We pray, Lord God, that you'd help us to be faithful to the call in our own life, to listen to you, to turn to you, to trust in you, and to follow you. Lord God, we pray for your guidance and your peace. Lord God, we pray that you give us hearts to trust you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to serve you boldly in this world and to follow where you lead. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.